So uh, looking forward to our day today because, you know, it usually takes a day to get to know one another. Uh, people stare at you, you know, and I try to stare right back. But I think we've gotten past some of our introductions so we can jump into some things. Last night we were just trying to, in a real broad stroke, just say some things about um, living a life like Jesus gave us an example to do where uh, he was constantly hearing his father talk to him and he was constantly experiencing seeing his father show him what to do. Well, you know, if you think about that, that has to be a connection from his spirit to the father God who is a spirit. That wasn't his flesh to God's flesh. God doesn't have flesh. God is a spirit. And we know from uh, the Gospel of John over in the fourth chapter, they that worship God must worship in spirit and truth. That's what Jesus said. So that means that there is a development of your spirit to be able to hear God and see God. This shouldn't be, you know, uh, to us some surprise. After all, our physical person has what? Sight hearing, feeling or touch, taste, and smell, right? Wouldn't it be horrible if we get to heaven and there's a beautiful apple like we've never seen before and we go to take a bite of it and there's no taste? We walk through the most amazing flowers and horticultural uh, gardens and yet there's no smell. There's an amazing, you know, thousand-member angelic choir big, huge pipe organs, but we can't hear it. This kind of seems preposterous, but my thought is this. Everything that we have outwardly in the physical man is just a reflection of everything you have inwardly as the spiritual man. Your spirit hears, your spirit sees, your spirit tastes, your spirit smells, and your spirit touches. Amen. And the real you is the spiritual person you are. I could give you a little example with this gentleman right here. Do you own a car or a truck? Which one? Truck. truck. All right. I would have guessed a truck. <laughs> All right. That's good. We're in truck country. That's good. So let me ask you a couple of kind of ridiculous questions, but it gets right to the point. You own a truck. Are you a truck? But you own one. Do you drive the truck or you let the truck drive you? And would it be dangerous to say that if you let the truck drive you, we'd kind of want to be off the road? Okay, just make sure you let us all know, just in case you're ever going to get there, all right? Now, that didn't take long to just explain something that's very simple to understand. The truck is a vehicle. We call them vehicles. They transport the real person on the inside. In fact, it's very interesting that we have a parking lot for your vehicles because it would be very difficult to be able to actually have the kind of fellowship we would want if we had all of our trucks in this building. Now, now use this as a spiritual example. Your body's just a vehicle. It's not the real you. The real you's inside. Amen? And so the better you can separate the body from the real you, the easier it is for the real you to have the kind of fellowship that's going to actually mean something. So in a sense, it'd be better to put your bodies out there in the parking lot and just bring the real you in here where there's unlimited, unfettered communion with God. So now here's the question, and don't just answer, because I know even myself I want to answer the right, the right answer, but 
sadly speaking, as I'm growing and developing, I probably can't answer this perfectly either. Does the real you drive the body or does the body drive you? And like I said, I, I really want to answer correctly too. Oh my God, the real me always drives the body, but I know just very well within myself that that's not true. Now, I will say this, I am learning to allow the person on the inside and giving him place so that he's driving the body a whole lot more than he used to. But just by mathematics, percentages, 720 hours in a week, or excuse me, in a month. And if we gave you five hours a week for spiritual things, that would only still add up to 20 hours a month, which means you got 700, 700 other hours to do something else. And where are most of our hours spent? In the world where our body is connected, not in the spirit where our spirit is connected. Now do you understand why we would all like to give the answer, oh my God, I always drive my body. Now do you understand why most likely that's probably not true for all of us? But what's the goal? To be more mindful of being spiritual and connecting with God and being more mindful of how often your body connects to the world so that you can make different choices. So the things that we, we say, say to you even this morning and then tonight, tonight we're meeting at 5.30, really encourage you to come back. It'll be the, um, probably the, uh, one of the simplest sermons you've ever heard. The only thing you're going to actually have a problem with is going to be way too easy. See, we, we, we have developed a world system. When God says, my ways are above your ways, my thoughts are above your thoughts, he's not saying that with his thumbs and his lapel, thinking, you know, I really got these people. Well, obviously, of course he does. Okay? No, he's saying that to help you to not try to invent another way. Just come on, get in with him, which means you've got to be humble. Because humility is what, what submits. Submission, humility, humility, submission, they're kind of one and the same. And to submit to God or to be humble before God is to say, the way that you do it is the way I want to do it. I don't want to do it my way. But the way that life spins is absolutely in the opposite direction of the way God spins. So everything about this life that we're in is all about you, what you do how well you can work, how well you can think. But in order to connect with God, it's all about getting you out of the way so that you can enjoy what he actually wants to do for you. You know, people know that they need God's grace in order to get saved, but then as soon as they get saved, they get told they've got to do all kinds of things in order to perfect their salvation. Well, if you couldn't get your salvation, how are you going to perfect your salvation? And you know who that feeds into? That feeds into all the people that are real disciplined individuals that are line by line, precept by precept. That's a great narrative for them because they love to feel like they got everything together. Well, what about the rest of us? I'm not that way. I married someone that way because I needed that in my life. But I'm way more fly by the seat of my pants. What my wife can't do, I can do really well. What I can't do, she does amazingly well. 
She's got all her ducks in a row, always. I'm shooting them every chance I can. <laughs> so if it's up to doing, she's going to by far be better than me. I'm the type that when the pressure's on, I can get a ton done. She doesn't want pressure, so she just gets it done every single day consistently. No, God always levels the playing field for everyone. Everyone always has an equal opportunity because your weaknesses, God will always fill with his strength. That's what he tried to get across to the Apostle Paul. When you're weak, then you'll be strong. In your weakness is my grace. Because it's in the area where you know you can't do that you need him to do, which shows us what? It shows us that in the areas of your strength, that'll probably be where you'll have the greatest difficulty. What do you mean? Where, where I'm weak, I need him. Where I'm strong, I don't. But the real truth is I need him in everything. So when we share the things that we're sharing, even this morning, I'm doing so to give you another picture. To work on your imagination. To show you something from God's perspective. Most likely what I share in the next few moments You'll say to yourself, well, I don't necessarily feel that. I don't necessarily see that. I can't really smell that. I can't really taste that. And I don't really, you know, uh, what would the other one be? I don't really hear that. No, God's perspective is probably not the way that you're seeing life. But hearing it and being able to contemplate it is what gives you another picture of who you really are. So in a sense, you could say this morning, I'm giving you an option as we preach the word for you to make different choices, choices maybe that you had not thought of making before you came here. Or if you had thought about them, I'm reinforcing those choices to let you know that they're really good ones and you can actually connect with God. Amen. Because the truth of the matter is you're connecting with something anyhow. It might as well be God. Amen. Amen. You're hearing something anyhow. It might as well be his voice. You're feeling something at all times. It might as well be his presence. Or not. But then that's our choice. Right? Is everybody doing okay with what I'm sharing? Listen, if it'll work for a guy by the name of Jacob, back in Genesis 30, when he's trying to get his father-in-law back, who kind of pulled the wool over his eyes when he thought he was marrying Rachel and his father-in-law sticks, sticks Leah in there. I, I don't consciously know how that worked unless she had literally a complete bag over her head and, I mean, and he couldn't see her at all, you know? And she was like that until they went into the tent that night and he took the bag off and, oh my God, who is this? You know, it's the sister. I mean, that would have made me mad too, you know? <laughs> but anyhow, he certainly got him back real good. Because in that day, it was the lambs or sheep or goats that had the pure coat that were the strongest of the flock. Those that were speckled and spotted were of the weaker ones. So Jacob said, you know, to Laban, I, I, I've been working for you for seven years to get, and you pull the wool of my eyes to get Leah, and I got to work another seven years to get the girl that I wanted. At least, you know, you could do something for me because I've never done anything against you. So, would you be okay if maybe I separated the speckled and the spotted sheep? 
and those were mine. He goes, well, that's great. That's great on me. I mean, you know, those, those are the weak ones anyhow. Sure, he's thinking he's getting an amazing deal. But Jacob, you know, where did he come up with this idea? Come on, where did he come up? You say, what idea was it? Well, he took all the, all the strong, you know, clear-coated, uh, you know, strong sheep and goats, and he brought them down to the watering trough when they were in heat, when they were mating, and he put all these branches and all these things in the water that made it look like there were spots on them and there were streaks on them as they were, were doing their business. He's, he, they're looking at themselves in a mirror of the water, and that was enough to cause their babies to come out spotted and speckled. Huh? And all of a sudden, the whole flock shifted to the strong where the spotted and speckled, and the weak became those that were strong before. And Laban's flocks, grew, I mean, Jacob's flocks grew and multiplied. That's pretty amazing. So what was he doing? Presenting to them a different picture. So that it would what? Become a part of who they really are. And that's this morning what we're endeavoring to do for you. That's faith in God. Hearing something about your father, getting a picture about his love, seeing what Jesus has done for you, and then accepting that as the real truth that supersedes what you feel in this world with your body. You can't let your body rule you. It won't always tell you the right, accurate information. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Well, this morning we're just going to share a few things with you. Uh, as we shared the other last... You know, we do have a product table back there. You don't even have to go back there and look at it. I promise you. you know, it's not gonna, you're not going to have any kudos on you or anything. You, know, you can just go right on out the door and do one of these numbers. We just have it back there in case you really like what we're saying. And uh, you might want to uh, pick up some other information that will just help you uh, to hear the same thing over and over again. One of the books is Until I Come. And it fits along with what we're actually talking about this morning. And that is about what you actually possess, what God's actually done for you, what's actually abiding in you. So we're going to talk about this in just a moment here, what you have. And I'll ask you to turn, if you don't mind, over to 2 Kings in chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. This is out of the New King James Version. I usually tell you what version it's out of because I like to use some different ones. 2 Kings 2, starting in verse 10 to 15. And this is all about what do you have? I'm asking that question. What do you possess or what do you have? And so we'll see it right here, especially in this story. This is about Elijah and Elisha. You know that Elisha was the traveling companion of Elijah. And Elijah was the prophet. You could say it like this. <coughs> Elisha, excuse me, Elisha was the prophet in training. His understudy. But Elijah was the prophet, and the anointing of God was upon him. And this is in the Old Covenant. Not everybody had the presence of God because people were not born again. So God's presence would come on a prophet, a priest, or a king, or a judge, like Samson was a judge. And God would use those individuals to lead the children of Israel. This is the beauty about the New Covenant is we all have an, a, an opportunity to walk in His presence or anointing. We all have the opportunity for Jesus to come and live in us through His Spirit. Empower us. 
Come on, you can only lift so much, but when someone else says, hey, I'll give you a hand, all of a sudden it becomes easy. Shouldn't life then become what is with us? In other words, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Shouldn't we have a greater experience in our life then? Because someone has joined themselves to us and is now working with us? If they're smarter than us, wouldn't we want to hear what they have to say about everything? If they're stronger than us, wouldn't we want to use their strength? If their ability is beyond our ability, wouldn't we want to tap into what they can do? Because we already know what we can do or what we can't, right? So many blessings besides just having fire insurance. Is anybody hearing what I'm talking about today? Do you know so many people come to church, they just want fire insurance. I just want to know I'm not going to burn in hell. Well, there's so much more to God than that. I know even my sister, you know, I always brag on her because she just got everything, you know. She, my, she got everything. She got the brains, you know. She, she, she got uh, the ability. She can do anything and everything. She's, she's been making so much money for years, it's unbelievable. You know, she's probably got stashes everywhere, you know. She, she's just as smart as can be, you know. She's not only intuitive, but she's also disciplined in every area. She's really, really a pretty amazing person. Like if she was going to do a family outing and have them over to her house, she would start now four or five months ahead of time making dishes and freezing them. Oh yeah, she's like way, way, way out there ahead of everything, okay? I, I figured out today what I'm going to do in the next 10 minutes, okay? I mean, so, so she got everything. And, and here she is at one point in her life saying, Jimmy, if I can just know that I'm going to get to heaven, that's all I care about. And now, because of some things that have happened, she's really reached out to God. God's touching her life. And she's getting what she's, she's getting answers to prayers almost, if you could say, and here I am the minister, almost better than I am. And so now, here I am, and I'm asking her, all right, Jan, tell me, how'd you get it to work? <laughs> I mean, I'm, it's just grading me, you know. The one thing that I feel like I can do in here, she's, now she's doing it so well again, you know what I mean? Okay, how do you get it to work? And this is what she said. It always works when he's my first thought. And I thought, shoot, I'm going to have to preach that, you know. <laughs> That's awesome, isn't it? Amen. It really does. And so we're wanting to develop that. It's more than fire insurance. My goodness, it's an everyday, enjoyable lifestyle. And I want to let you know something. Church is not about this building. It's not at all about this building. This is just a place where we come and where we should be coming to brag on Jesus. That's what church should be. A place where we had all week to pile up so many experiences we can't wait to come. And when they say, does anybody have... I do. And we are all got our hands up. And so now Pastor Chris has to just say, well, I can only take two or three of you because you're all having so many experiences we're just going to have to have two or three more nights to hear them all oh my goodness talk about people accelerating in God the old covenant God had to work through an individual to reach many the new covenant he reaches everybody amen okay so let's go ahead and read we know Elijah and Elisha, this is a story. And so he said, you have asked a hard thing. What do you mean asked? Well, Elijah, Elijah asked of Elisha, the understudy, what is it that I can do for you? So, well, I actually like a double portion of the anointing that's on your life. In other words, to do, to do twice as many miracles as you've done. He goes, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, 
If you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it will not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. So what does that mean? According to the word of the prophet Elijah, because Elisha saw him go up into heaven, he's going to have a double portion of the anointing on his life. Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And so he saw him no more and he took a hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. So that mantle is just a piece of clothing. You see, you know, Episcopal priests and you see Catholic priests, they have a collar. So it would be like as though that collar fell. In other words, the thing that represented who they were. And he had a clothing on, or a piece of clothing, just an animal skin, and it represented the anointing. It falls to the ground. He picks it up, and he goes over to the Jordan, and he said, Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and struck the water, and said, Where is the God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. In other words, on dry ground, the water split. Now when the sons of the prophet who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests upon Elisha. Now it's kind of interesting to see what took place. That mantle fell, which represented the anointing, but Elisha still needed to do what? He needed to prove it. Remember the old song? Some of you remember that song, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. Remember that? How I've proved you o'er and o'er. In other words, over and over. See, the old saints used to prove God. No one proves God anymore because we got options. I'll say that again. No one proves God anymore because we got options. As long as you got real good, you know, health insurance, why, like, change who you are and really have to get on your face before God and connect with Him when you can just go and have them, because your insurance is going to pay for it anyhow, have them snip you, have them take something out and sew you back up. You were really needing a vacation anyhow, and you got a couple weeks, you know. Come on, you ain't looking at me like, you know, you're friendly right now. <laughs> but I'm telling you the truth. Do you see how this works? The more technology increases, the less people have a need for God. And all of a sudden you start using other things, which means what? Just with a pure sense of repetition, it means you start losing your advantage of being good with God. You know, you know this, this dates me, I know, but, you know, I, I go back to, you know, some of the good shows that we used to watch were things like, you know, Andy and Mayberry, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and, and I Love Lucy. And, and there's two episodes of I Love Lucy that I always just really liked more than the others. And one was when she was, you know, with the gypsies and she got into that big tank of all those grapes and she's, you know, just her face was like, ooh, you know, where her toes are sinking down all those grapes. And the other one was when they were in the candy factory, her and Ethel, you know what I mean? And that conveyor belt had all those candies, and she's got to put those into the box, and it was going faster than she could, and she started chucking them like this, sticking them in her pocket and eating them, you know? Yeah. Well, she wasn't really doing very well, but if she'd have stayed with it, I said if she'd have stayed with it, if we'd have saw her two weeks after, she'd have been, guess what? She'd have been having a full conversation and just literally going to town. Why? Muscle memory. You just get good at whatever you stay consistent with. Elisha proved 
whether or not God was in the clothing, which says something to me. When he picked it up, he didn't feel anything. You don't always have to feel something to know that you have something. It's what you believe and know that you have that causes you to feel. That's why Jesus said, blessed are they that have not seen, but yet what? Believe, because the seeing or the change in this world is about what you believe in that world. Didn't Paul try to help us with that? Second, second uh, Corinthians 4, and verse 18, when he said, look not at the things which are seen, but look at the things that are unseen. How do you do that? I'm, I'm helping you with that this morning. I'm creating a picture. How can you see something that's unseen? Well, God gave you an imagination. It's like you're your own movie uh, uh, production company on the inside. It's what you perceive, what you see, what you imagine. How your mind portrays the life that you actually believe is real. And if all you can see is the tumor in your body, or all you can see is the pain in your body, and you're constantly allowing your mind to go there, see it, feel it, and, and know that it's just getting worse and it's not getting better, and that's what you feed on, you're not going to be able to produce something. That's not how Jacob got those coats to become spotted. He put them in front of something that gave them a different picture than what they were. Amen. I'm trying to help you to see there's not really anything about this life that's going to help you to connect with God because we're all good at the life that we live. Everybody's good at something. Well, I'm not really good at something. Oh, no, you are. Oh, what do you mean? My prayers aren't working. That's what I mean. You're good at something. You're so good at something that it's causing your prayers not to work. Think about that. You have every advantage in the whole world. You're so overqualified for being a son of God. God's living in you. Every victory is yours and every enemy is completely defeated. And God's already given you a victory before you start. It's like knowing you win before you even enter into the contest. There's no need you staying up at night and fussing about things. You've already won tomorrow. There's no need for you to have butterflies. You're already a champion. Every victory is yours. Amen. And then to think that we're so good at something that with every victory being ours, we can't get that to work. We just want to become good at the things of God. So look at what he had to find out. He had to find out whether or not the power was in that cloth. And he didn't know it by just grabbing it. I mean, if the power was in there like electricity, he would, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. woo, right? <laughs> he was, how do I grab a hold of that thing? That about shocked the life out of me. He might have got a couple of twigs together and held it up, you know what I mean? And said, this, this baby's loaded right here, right? But he didn't feel anything. He took it, he grabbed it, he smacked it, just like Elijah when he came over the Jordan River, he caused it to part. He smacked it and said, where is the God of Elijah? And when the sea split, how many of you realize he had an amazing respect for what he was holding on to? Oh my God, he's in there. He is in this cloth. And when he put that on, what did that represent? Now he's on me. 
Amen. Come on, somebody. This is good. It's a very, very simple truth. What he had and what he knew he had, he had confidence in, he could give it away. If you don't know what you have, you can't give it away. Just that simple. Someone says, can I have a couple dollars? And you f f fuss in your pocket and say, well, I, I thought I had some. I, I don't know. I mean, I, well, you're not being very confident about giving anything to them <clears throat> if you know you don't have it. And if they ask for a couple dollars and you don't even know that, that you do have it, you have to say, well, I don't think I have it. But if you ask for a couple dollars and you've got a $100 bill in your pocket, my God, you pull that thing out and say, hey. I always like to try, you know, the best I can, you know, to give a little money to somebody on the side of the road. I realize they could just be, you know, uh, faking the whole thing, you know. But it's up to what they do with it. But I try to, you know, to be gracious like that. And here I am in Tallahassee, Florida, a couple weeks ago. And I'm, I'm in this lane here, and there's no one around. So there's this guy over here, and I didn't even read his sign. I just pulled right over, and I got a couple dollars handing it to him while all of a sudden I'm reading this sign, and the sign said, why lie? I just want beer. <laughs> and I'd already given it to him. I thought, well, I, I, guess, I guess it works, you know. Praise the Lord. <laughs> helping this guy get a beer, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to go preach, and I'm helping this guy get drunk. <laughs> but the point is, I mean, I've already got that out my door because I had a couple dollars to give them. Can't give somebody something you don't know you have. Huh? Come on, this is a real simple truth. Acts chapter 3, 1 through 7. I'm going to go faster now so we can get out on time. You've got to get out before the Baptist, otherwise you can't get a place to eat around here. Amen. I grew up Baptist. I know how, how that works. I mean, we got out at 12 o'clock every time. So, uh, Acts chapter 3, 1 through 7 says, Now Peter and John went up together at the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who were entering the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. Now, if you're telling somebody that's asking for money to look at you, what do they think they're going to get? Well, that's right. So then he went and said, so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something. Well, it's something, you know what the something was, expecting to receive money. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. I think we get this misconstrued like Peter's just broke. Well, they weren't broke. I mean, the early church, they were bringing all their, all their belongings together and helping people uh, to be able to have what they needed to make it through life. I think what Peter's just saying here is, I'm not going to give you money. I know you want money, but it's not money that you need. What you need is to be able to walk, and then you can make your own money. Silver and gold have I not, but what I do have I get. Where did he get the idea he had some? Now here's that principle. He actually knows he has something. So he seems pretty bold about what? Giving it. And notice how bold he was. Such as I have, give I you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. He didn't say, rise and walk. Woo. And the guy just went, oh. Now that can happen. That can happen. Someone can just feel that power like that and just get up. You don't always have to do something. It happens a lot. But I know in my ministry, I've seen all kinds of things like this happen, where the person didn't act like they had anything. And I just believe they did. 
One lady was all twisted up. I mean, so twisted she walked in, you know, just all walked in like this, just completely twisted. Body was twisted like a cork. And I won't go through the whole story, but she, you know, wanted prayer. And it was actually after, way after our service was even over. So I gave her a little grief. You say, you're mean? Not mean. I need to locate her. That's why I say things that I do to people, to locate people, figure out where they're at, find out how bad they want it, see if they're actually uh, ready to get something. So at, at, initially, I, didn't, I told her I wasn't going to pray for her because she was late. But I was just doing that on purpose. I wasn't trying to be mean. I just wanted to see how she responds. She started crying. And so then she said, really, you're not going? I said, well, maybe I will. I said, on one condition. She said, what's the condition? I said, you got to be healed. She said, well, that's why I came. I said, good. I said, I'll pray for you. You'll run in this room. She goes, well, I mean, you know, I'll be healed. See, running around the room, she had not even conceived of that. To her, being healed was, okay, thank you for praying for me, and she's going to walk out the same and go, I, I know I'm healed now. Well, I don't look healed. If you get something, it ought to bring change. And there ought to be change in you so that if you respond, even though outwardly you might not see something at first, if you respond as though there is change, then change ought to come. Kind of like when someone says, well, I know I'm healed. Are you back to work? Well, I mean, no, I mean, can't go back to work. Why not? I thought you know you're healed. Healed people go to work. Well, I mean, what? You like that sticker too much? That gets you a front row parking spot? Huh? Come on, you're all getting really quiet in here. I mean, you know, I mean, you can't bluff me. Amen. I see you. I'm looking at you. You... You get real lumpy. You know, one minute you're just all eyes like this, next minute you kind of put your eyes down like that. Remember how it was like at school? When, when, when were you real animated about, about the, the, the teacher picking you for the answer? When you knew it. Oh! Because when you didn't know it, how did you act? You just hoped she didn't pick you, right? That's kind of what's going on right here in the service, just so you know. I mean, I'm watching. <laughs> So I said, well, that's what I want you to know. You're going to be healed. That's what you have to get. That's, that's the condition. She said, well, you know. I said, I do know. I'm going to pray for you. You're going to run around the room. She goes, well, I mean, you know, I mean, I'll be healed. What she's saying is, I'll be healed in theory. I, I, don't, have any, I don't have any idea that it's actually going to work, but I mean, I mean. What other area? of the life that we live works like that. Tell me, please. None. Everything about the lives we live deals with, if you say you produce this, you need to produce it. If this is your job, then you get the job what? Done. You don't say, well, I'll get, I'm getting the job done, but it never gets done. Well, you don't usually work there any longer, right? Christianity, religion, is the only thing that can do a really terrible failure of a job and keep the doors open and people keep coming and keep paying. Boy, that one really went over well. <laughs> it is. Think about it. We have more failure than any other business out there. But people keep coming and smiling. 
figured it out yet that it's supposed to work. So I looked at her and I said, now listen, I said, you're not only late, but you're messing this whole thing up. Can you get your brain in neutral, please? And she said, well, I'll try. I said, all right, well, hurry up and let me know when you're there. And then the weirdest look came over her face. She's trying to, trying to get in neutral. I said, are you there yet? She said, I think I'm getting close. I said, well, hurry up. I don't have all day. She says, okay, I think I'm there. And I just walked up to her and said, in Jesus' name. She goes, oh my God, that's all you're going to do? I said, at 4.15 in the afternoon, that's all that's left. <laughs> I'm just messing with her, you know? And then what'd you do? I grabbed her hand and started running. And she's literally flapping in the wind. I mean, literally, her legs are going, ah! She's screaming bloody murder, and I'm dragging her, dragging her. Halfway around the room, I dragged her. And it was three sizes of this room. Halfway around the room, I dragged her. Ushers about fell out. They're like, oh my God. And she's screaming bloody murder. And the power of God hit her halfway around that room, and she literally crack, 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 and instantly healed and ran the rest of the way up to the front. And when she got back up, I got back up there. She's doing all these, these stress. She goes, oh, my God, I can hardly find it. And I said, neutral, lady, neutral. She said, what do you mean? I said, right, do you want to find it? Oh, no, no. I said, okay. What would make you do that? Well... If for nothing else, just to defy the odds. People tell me if you get those things wrong, you'll lose your ministry. I've been trying to lose it for years, for crying out loud. And God always shows up and I have to keep doing it. What made you do it? I believed I had something. I believed my prayer worked. I believed God did something. And so we ought to see something. Do you always do that? Well, no, I don't always do that. Sometimes I'm... You know, I'm, I'm just crazier than others, you know. If I'm having an attitude, I'll always have way more miracles. Because then I'll do something I normally wouldn't do if I'm nice. I don't know if that computes with you, but when you're on edge, you'll do things you normally wouldn't do. You come home, hey, hon, how you doing? Fine. Well, you're not fine. Well, I'm fine. No, you're not fine. What's wrong? See, when you're on edge, you, you normally act a little bit differently than you do when you're not on edge. <laughs> and I found when I'm <clears throat> just somebody, somebody ticks me off a little bit. Now, I'm, an, I'm a New Yorker, so you know, I'm a, I'm, I have a lot of expression. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I drive loudly. If someone gets in my way, I don't just toot toot. That doesn't work, man. I want, I want you to know I'm here and you're really a jerk. You just cut me off. I want you to know that. <laughs> So I'm going to lay the horn on until it really messes with you and bothers you. Well, that's just how I grew up. So see, you know, you got a little bit of fire in you like that. And every once in a while, I get in a service. So I just got that fires on me like that. And I'll do crazier things than other times. And I think I'm going to hit a little attitude right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, man. No, come on. This is all coming down to one thought. And it's just what Peter and John did. He grabbed him by the arm. He didn't wait until he felt but He jerked him up in the air. And the guy's legs, probably a shock to the guy. What make him do that? He said, such as I have, give I thee. Well, where did he get that revelation? Look over at Matthew chapter 10. 
Jesus talking here in verse 1, and then we'll go to 7 and 8. In verse 1 it says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. In verse 7 and 8 it said, Jesus said, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, who's the subject matter? It is you. And who's the you there? The disciples that he just gave power to. So when he said, heal the sick, he's saying, you heal them. Raise the dead, he said, you raise the dead. Cleanse the leper, you cleanse the leper. Freely you've received, now freely give what you have. Which is very interesting because Jesus didn't put any qualifications on it. He said, this can only work in certain situations. It doesn't always work. You've got to be real careful if you've got a dead person because you, know, you just can't just assume you can do it. He didn't say anything about you need the word of the Lord. Seems like all he said is, is find some sick folk. Even to the degree if there's a leper there that needs a miracle, something creative, their nose is gone, well, stick one back on like you can. Huh? There's nothing here qualifying you like only if you, and you have to, and you really need to, and you know it doesn't always just work, you know. Because if Jesus would have said any of that, come on, the human nature will always backpedal. Huh? No one God called was going, me, me, me. Pick me. Come on, we're picking sides, you know. And, and, and if you've ever been the one that ever was picked last, you're always feeling like, pick me, pick me, pick me. I was usually always the captain. And so I'd always try to pick the person that would be picked last. And not have to pick them last. So he didn't have to feel like he'd be picked last again. Pick you. After I pick my star, then I pick you or I pick you. And then they all of a sudden they feel really good because they weren't picked last. Because I hated that. I thought to myself, I've never been in that position. But I, if, I, if I, I was, I wouldn't like it. Come on, that's the beauty about God. There are no lasts. We're all on the level together. We're all just as special together. No one's more special. And you see what he did here with his disciples. He didn't leave them with the consciousness of, I'm not sure, I hope I have. Boy, if this works, it'll be a miracle. No, he left them with the idea that what I just gave you, I've been proving it to you for weeks here. What I just gave you is dynamite. It's going to work. Come on, if you took your little, little girl, I, had, I only had girls. I got three girls. You know, I mean, we, we were for sure we we're going to have a boy. So we got ready for Andrew. And uh, Allie came out. And then we were for sure, we were only going to have two children, so it had to be the boy the next time. So we didn't have a girl's name. It was just Andrew. And then she came out, so she had to be Drew. <laughs> and then we weren't going to have another one, but the Lord seemed to impress us to have another one. And why would he ask us to have another girl? Of course it was a boy. And for nine months, everywhere I went, I got everybody to believe with me. Say boy three times. And all the churches I went to for a whole nine months said boy, boy, boy. Then I found out how much faith they had. A girl came out. <laughs> 
Amen. So we got a lot of female stuff in the house. Amen. So we went out and bought a couple boys, but they're white and fluffy, and they've been neutered, and they don't even know they're boys. <laughs> so I'm still all by myself. Amen. Amen. You took one of those little girls to a gumball machine, and you put 100 dimes in it, and every time you turned it, a, a gumball came out. I say dimes now because it used to be a penny. How many of you remember a penny? And you get little chiclets, you get at least three or four of them. Remember? For a penny? That was big stuff. Now it's a dime, you get one. It's so cheap, you know? So anyhow, but if she had 100 dimes and she saw me put it in, and, every time, and I gave her 100 dimes, what would she be expecting every single time she turned that thing, that she would get a gumball out? I'm telling you what, when God gave this to the disciples, they actually believed they had the ability to do exactly what he said. They did. And, and Jesus only got on their case. The one time we have in Scripture was over there with that boy that was being thrown into the fire that had those epileptic seizures, remember? And they tried to cast him out but could not. Jesus got on their case about that. He said, you don't have any focus. This generation doesn't know me. Their attentions are divided. That's why they need to be in fasting and prayer. No, you don't fast and pray a devil out. But your fasting and prayer is a very simple equation. When you fast, you're saying no to something, and you're turning your back to it. And when you pray, you're saying yes to God, and you're turning your face toward Him. Can you see the benefit of turning your back to the world and turning your face to God? What will that give you? If you spend enough time in that particular area, it'll cause you to have a reality check where God starts to become real, which means what? When something doesn't seem like it works, your God is real enough to you to give you the answer of how to get it. We believers are not supposed to put up with failure. There's no failure in our DNA. There's no compromise in our DNA. Well, you know the way the world's going today with political correctness? So throw that stuff out. You can't find God in political correctness. What do you mean? The lines have to be separated. What is godly is godly. What is of the devil is of the devil. Well, people won't like that. I know they don't like it because the two cuss words in the body of Christ and in the world today are lack of responsibility and, 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 and lack of what responsibility and accountability. Thank you. People don't want either of them. Everybody just wants to be able to be left alone to do whatever they want to do. Well, that doesn't work with God. What part of you accepted him, he took you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you into the kingdom of the son of his love? What part of that says he left you in the gray area? He just kind of, kind, kind, kind of just, not there yet, but I'm kind of... Jesus said, gray, I'll spew out of my mouth. He said, I want it to be, what? I want it to be hot or cold. Wants people to choose. You know, if you're religious, you won't like what I'm getting ready to say. But it's a perspective, so listen to the whole thing. On one hand, through a particular perspective, a honky-tonk, a meth lab, and a strip joint are really, really good places. Thank you very much for that laughter. <laughs> you say, what in the world are you talking about? They're really good places. Do you know why they're really good? Because they're all bad. If something's all bad, how is there a temptation to have it? In other words, the more something is all the way to one side, the easier it is to make a decision. If th something's only a little bit good, you're not really sure if there's going to be too much bad to outweigh the good, so you don't usually choose. But if something's all the way good, it's easy to say, hey, I want that. If something's all the way bad, it's easy to say what? No. 
It's not hard to make a choice about getting out of the house if it's on fire. I stay and I die. Oh, I think I want to watch two more series of my favorite program. I'll just take a chance. Hmm? And that's what's happened in the church world. Every once in a while we'll have something good that happens and we try to use it to validate all the bad that's not happening. Remember, if we're living in a negative world, then you're always going to learn faster through negativity than you do through something positive. So if you've got one person healed out of a hundred, you can't just say this is the most amazing night we've ever had because you've got 99% failure. See, while everybody rejoices in the one person that got healed, everybody's thought process is in the world, which is 99 didn't, though. I'll probably be one of them. But if it was 99 that got healed and only one that didn't, what's the possibility everybody would say, my God, lay hands on me, I'll be healed right now. Now, do you see how that works? You see why we don't have the initiative we do? Because we're not sure about what the church really has. Is everybody doing okay? Of course, a strip joint, a honky-tonk, and a meth lab are bad, obviously. But if you see it through the right perspective, you'll understand why when something's all the way bad, how much does it really tempt you to go there? It's easier to make choices. It's one of the reasons why Jesus doesn't want us to be a lukewarm because lukewarm has a little bit of each. And our minds always want to somehow keep us going, even though we know there's something that needs to be dealt with. The human brain has the ability to sweep things under the carpet and put things in the closet so that you can make it through another day. And that's what we do spiritually. We just make it through another day without addressing the fact that there's all kinds of things where our choices are really causing us to experience nothing but hardship. And God doesn't want you to try to be the one that makes the better choice. I mean, say it to the right way. He doesn't want to try, he doesn't, he's not looking at you to actually be able to perfect yourself. He just wants you to point yourself in the right direction so his grace can do something in your life. It's not about works. It's just about wanting a relationship. You know, I was never a player, you know, as I grew up. I didn't have three girls on the side and all that kind of stuff, you know. I would date one person. I didn't date a lot. I didn't date a lot because I was always embarrassed. I don't know, somehow or another, my parents may be embarrassed, you know, if they knew I was dating somebody. Here, date this girl. Well, no. And I might, might have even liked her, but it's just because they said so. I wouldn't. <laughs> I was embarrassed. So, but I will say this. Once I met my wife, I started to want to meet her again, and then I wanted to be with her again. Then I wanted to be with her again, and all of a sudden, the more I wanted to be with her, the less I cared about being with anybody else. So the next thing that happens is, is you start losing sight of someone else because you have envisioned someone that you want to be with. Now my choices are what? To protect that and to grow that. Right? Is it works? It had nothing to do with it. It works. She loves me. I love her. But just because she loves me and I love her doesn't mean something's good. Unless what? Unless my actions are doing what? Protecting and enhancing the relationship. 
30 years of traveling by myself, and I've never been approached by a woman. I said that one church, and a dear little old lady, she must have been about 92 years of age, she came up to the book table and goes, <laughs> and I said, that's not even close. That does not count. <laughs> does not even count. Really? Really? You say, well, how come? That's a, it must be the perfume I'm wearing. People can tell. He ain't looking. Huh? So you're making choices to do what? Keep yourself from being in that position. You know, I, I'm, in the, I'm in the hotel rooms. I don't go down to the bar, sit at the bar. People are that might actually not care if you had a wedding ring on. Why am I making those choices? Because I got somebody that I love. Now, just because we're still married and I haven't cheated on her doesn't mean it's a good relationship because I could be on one end of the house, she could be on the other, and we're just kind of existing. So then I also need to make choices to, to do what? Enhance the relationship. And what do those choices look like? Those choices look like the time and the tangibility to get to know what she likes, what would bless her, so that I'm doing things that she would feel within herself just by what I do is saying, I love you. Because, you know, I can say, honey, I love you, while I got the golf clubs on my shoulder, and it's the fourth day in the row I'm leaving her to do everything on her own. Huh? Somebody help me with that one. Ladies, you should have said amen to that. I mean, you're just quiet as the, as the men are. Come on, my, 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 my uncle died at, uh, he's, he's a San Salvadorian preacher. My aunt was a missionary. And uh, he died at about 95 years of age, but he gave some of the best marriage counseling there is, as long as we're talking about marriage. Um, Brother Hagin said you can always quiet down a rowdy crowd by talking about sex, money, or marriage. And I've proven that to be so. Mo moment you, I mean, they're, glory to God, hallelujah, let's talk about marriage. Mm. <laughs> so anyhow, my uncle told me, because all he could say was Jimmy. Hello, Jimmy. That's it, because he didn't speak any English, you know. And my, my Spanish was limited. So my aunt is interpreting. He said, I have to tell you this. This is before I was married. He, and everybody called me Jimmy in the family. So he said, he said, Jimmy, he said, before you get married, have both eyes open very wide so that you can see everything. He said, once you get married, close one eye and squint with the other. <laughs> Amen. Now what most people do is the opposite. Before they're married, they got one eye closed, they're squinting with the other. And when they get married, they open both eyes and go, <laughs> holy smokes, you know. That's actually very good, very good counsel in there. Because what you don't see and what you're not nitpicking about, it don't bother you. And I've learned this, if anything else, after 26 years of marriage, the less I let things bother me, the better the marriage gets. The more I'm nitpicking to try to change her, and hadn't, hadn't worked in all these years, why don't I figure out, just let her be herself and just love her for who she is. And all of a sudden then things just work out so much. Okay, so let's go back to our... <laughs> <coughs> John 3, 16, come on, does anybody know this verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have some. Have some! You're gonna, you have something? You have something. What do you have? You have everlasting life. Well, see, people think that means I, I, I'm going to heaven. That had nothing to do with the duration of time. You're a spirit. If, if you didn't have everlasting life, you'd live in hell forever. 
So it's not about a duration of time. It's about a quality of life. It's about a substance from God that's interjected inside your veins that causes his divinity to become a part of your spirit. You absolutely are no longer a spiritual being with a nature of sin. It's gone. He annihilates it. And in its place, he pours into you himself. And your nature now is holy. Your nature is righteous. Your nature is pure. Your nature is perfect. And God, because of that perfect nature, steps inside to actually live inside of you. You have Him. You have eternal life. Eternal life is the divine quality of God that will heal a sickness, that will raise the dead. Back in the old day, people's names used to be, instead of having, you know, Fred, it was FF. So I'd be J.E. Hockaday. James Edwards. Well, a guy by the name of F.F. Bosworth wrote Christ the Healer. That's back in, especially down in the Texas, Oklahoma area. Back then, they were all F.F. and A.D. and D.D. and B.B. And, well, they actually had names, but they just went by, by, by the, the first letter. In the 11th chapter of F.F. Bosworth's book, Christ the Healer, it was on the life of God. And he made a comment there. He said, if you can get enough of the life of God in you, it'll live on its own. Now, that's not a real good way to say it because it leaves someone to think maybe I don't have enough. Because when Jesus said you have life, I've given you life and life what? More abundantly. So if you've got an abundance of this life, you've got plenty of it, you just need to access it. That'd be the better way of saying it. If you can access enough of this life of God, in other words, the more spiritual choices you make to connect with God, the more eternal life you begin to access until you give it the ability to live on its own. Well, one of my friends knows the individual that actually went to F.F. Bosworth's house. This individual is by the name of T.L. Osborne. See, he's got a name too, but it's just a T.L. His wife's name was Daisy. So F.F. called T.L. and said, bring, bring Daisy with you and come on over. I, I'm sorry, that just seems like a joke. But anyhow, that's exactly what it was. F.F. said, come on, T.L., bring Daisy and come on over to the house. He's uh, 81 years old. So what are we doing? He said, well, you're the only ones that will believe me when I tell you. They came over to the house. Here he is laying on the bed, propped up on pillows. They said, is everything all right? He says, well, everything's dandy. He said, what do you want us to do? He said, I'm ready to go home. He said, I've completed my race. He said, but my body's too healthy. I can't go. And they said, what do, you, what do you mean? He said, well, I've talked about the life of God for so many years, and I've prayed about it. I've fellowshiped in that life. I've enjoyed that life. He said, there's so much of God's life in my body. It's perfect in every way. There's nothing wrong with it, and I can't get out of my body to go home. He said, I need you to help pray me over. And you're the only ones that won't think I'm crazy. I said, all right, we'll do it. They got praying in the Holy Ghost. The presence of God fell in that room. He said, well, I think I'm going. I think I'm going. And it didn't happen. So they said, we'll come over tomorrow night. We'll go a second night. Second night, same thing. They prayed and they prayed. The presence of God was so strong, he thought he was going. Dud. Didn't go. He said, come the third night. I think this will be it. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. Right in the middle of the prayer, the power of God fell. He sat right up and he said, well, I'll see you on the other side. Laid back down and he was gone. So much of the life of God in his 80s that he was perfect in every way and his body wouldn't let him go. What do you have? That's what you have. That's what you have. It'll kill a cancer. My God, it'll keep a cancer forever coming in you. 
It'll be a force field of immunity that won't allow a sickness, disease, bacteria, or germ to even camp on you. It'll die. Cause your hip to be perfect and you won't need that surgery. Cause your eyes to be perfect and you won't need to have somebody say, can you hold that about back here? Come on, folks. We buy into this world all the time. As soon as you turn 50, all of a sudden you need bifocals. As soon as you turn 50, all of a sudden you go, oh, man, I got a pain in my back. I guess I'm just getting older, you know. I guess I'm getting older. See, we accept that. Do you know the, the guy that lived the longest? you know what his name was? There he was. Do you know how old he was? 969 years old. Now think about this for a moment. At 69, he's starting to go, oh, my God, I got all this pains in me. And someone says to Methuselah, you got another 900 years to go. Guess what he would have said? Shoot me. <laughs> huh? Would he not say that? Come on, come on. If you had, where you are right now, with the pains you got in your body, with where, how your body's talking, if you've got another 800 years to go or 900 years to go, would you not say, please put me out of my misery, somebody? Somebody help me, right? Right? Do you see, it's all learned behavior. Adam and Eve were perfect, and now they're out of the garden. Everything's going to be new. God said they're going to have pain. They didn't know what it was. He said, you're going to sweat. They hadn't done that before. So while they were gathering some things, all of a sudden some drops came off of their forehead, and they got real clammy. They thought, this isn't good. Oh, all slimy. And the next day they woke up because they had to work real hard. You know, I mean, they, God couldn't cook for them anymore. They had to cook. They asked God, can we take a little fruit? For no, you've got to grow it yourself. Grow it. How do you grow it? You have to figure that out. Well, who's going to cook for us? You guys got to figure that out. Oh, my gosh, we're going to starve. Well, no, you'll figure it out. Well, it's probably not going to be fun, is it? No, it won't be fun at all. You're going to sweat. Oh, my God, what's sweat? And you're going to be real painful. What's pain? Well, you'll know both of them when you have them. And because they worked so hard and they sweat, the next day they woke up and they said, oh my gosh, I'm feeling a little bit of uncomfortableness. What's that, what, what's that called? And, and Eve said, that, that's probably the pain. Because everything was new. Eve, Eve is rushing because she's burning the beans and she's rushing around the counter and she smacks her hip on the counter and goes, ow, ow. And Adam says, why are you saying that? I don't know. It's just what came out. Well, what happened? She says, I hurt my, well, what does hurt mean? All I know is if you smack your hip like that, like I did, you'll feel what I felt. Well, let's take a look at it. And he looked at it, and it was all purple and red. And he goes, wow, that's pretty cool. I hadn't seen something like that ever. He said, how'd you get that? He said, go smack your hip right there. So Adam goes, it's all first. He doesn't know what he's to expect. He goes over and goes, boom, he goes, ow, ow, right? Right? Ow. And she says, see, that's what I felt. She said, let's look at yours. And his was all yellow and brown. What did they call them? Tattoos. <laughs> see, everything's a first. Do you get this? And we've bought into this that we're supposed to hurt. We're supposed to not see. We're supposed to be in pain. And you know, sickness just comes to everybody because it's the flu season, you know. You got to get your shot. We buy into this world. But what you have is eternal life. And it supersedes it all. Oh, I'm telling you, you can't use something that you don't believe you have. And I'll close with this thought. I'm, 
I'm Baptist going to Ramah. So, you know, I mean, you know, the first time I lifted my hands, they only got this high. I remember he's going, oh, glory to God. I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. I was too embarrassed somebody to see me. You know what I mean? It took me a while to inch on up until I felt like I could, I could go all the way up, you know. Just my Baptist training. So everything was new for me. And I'm slowly going from Baptist to Baptocostal before I actually turn Pentecostal. You know what I mean? And so here I'm in uh, the meetings that I'm in, and we're traveling with Brother Hagen. And, um, and, and because I had worked out and stuff, they told me to make sure that I was the one to not drop the prophet. And at first I didn't understand that because in my world, in, in the Baptist church, we only had, we only had pastors and teachers and, and, and evangelists. We didn't believe in prophets and, and, and apostles. So when they said, don't drop the prophet, the only thing I could think of was money. I said, I thought this was a nonprofit organization. <laughs> I said, no, the prophet is Brother Hagin. I said, oh, you, have, you really have those? They said, don't drop the prophet. So now I've got to make sure I don't drop Brother Hagin. I said, well, why in the world would, I, would, would Brother Hagin drop? You know what I mean? Well, the anointing. See, everything's new. And I'm thinking, what's the anointing going to do? And sure enough, the anointed God gets strong on him and settled down in his legs, and he'd be up at the pulpit just rocking back and forth, you know, like a weeble that wobbles and doesn't fall down, but he would. And he had a real big belly and skinny legs, so you know you have to get real close to make sure you got him right underneath that belly, or you'd go over with him. So we're in a meeting, 10,000 people, downtown, camp meeting. And Brother Hagin's up there wobbling around, and somebody elbows me, and that was my cue, and I, I ran up there and got right behind him. And I was such a good shadow, he didn't even, when he turned, I turned. When he turned, I turned. He didn't even know I was there. I'm just making sure I don't drop the prophet, because that's what they told me, don't drop. And I'm still Baptocostal. See, I, this is all new to me. I'm there just to make sure I don't. And I'm, I'm paranoid because 10,000 people are looking at the blonde-haired guy. Okay? When I, grew, when, I played, uh, when I played, you know, tag and all that kind of stuff as a kid, they always ratted me out. I see you. No, you don't. I see your blonde hair. See, it was always the hair thing. So I'm standing behind him, and I'm just this little shadow, and, and then he says, well, I can't come down there. He said, my legs, you see, are so full of the anointing. He said, I can't hardly move up here. He said, but I'll have some of these young people come down. That was the group. And he always used Annie. So we turned sideways, and I turned with him. He didn't even know I was there. And Annie comes over, and she has her hands out, and he puts his hands in her hands, and he says, now, take this down to the people and minister to them in the name of Jesus. And she just goes on like this, and she walks over to the back of the stairs, down, and then out towards the people. I wasn't thinking about who he'd turn to next, because I'm just paying attention to not dropping him. But he would always use Annie and then the drummer, Dean, and, and the drums were always directly behind the podium at, at quite a distance. So he wheeled around to see Dean, and he's staring li literally this close <laughs> to me. And when he, when, he, when he turned around and he sees me, it scared me. He goes, ah, like that. And when he did that, I went, ah. Because he was scared, I was scared. So I tried to get out of the way, and he went to the same side. Have you ever done that? Like, <laughs> ever done that? So I'm over here like this, and he's here. And then I go over here, and he's here. And the second time he came over here, he looked at me, and he kind of went like this, like that. And I'm thinking, I could have breakfast, lunch, and dinner over here. I've been here for so long, and you came over here. In other words, he was slow. I was moving fast. He was moving slow. It's like, stay there. So he, er, like that, and I just backed up. I'm, 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 I'm still stunned. I should have just got out of the way. 
How come he didn't? Well, you don't always do when, when something like that, what you probably should do. So I just stepped back. And then he started looking at me like this. and looked at my shoes, my suit. I had to wear a tie back then. We looked at a tie. So I looked at my hair. Comes back down. He looks. He goes, well, all right, I guess you'll do. <laughs> I'm like, okay, thank you very much. Guess you'll do. Put your hands out. And I put my hands out. And he put his hands in my hands. And he said, now take this. The moment he said this, all of a sudden, something went in my hands. Take this. Wow. And he said, down to the people. And he said, minister to them in the name of Jesus. And he leaned in, looked me in the eye, and said, make sure you use the name of Jesus. And I, you know, I wanted to just say, really? Did you have to go there? I read your cotton picking book, The Name of Jesus. I've been in your school and graduated. Really? What am I going to do? Say, in the name of Ted, come out of him. Huh? Really? Really? I'll use his name. I will use his name. I will do that. But I didn't say what I wanted to say. But now I don't know what to do. Do you put these in your hands, pockets? Do you fold them? What do you do with them? So I just left them out here like a little platter that I was taking to the people and walked all the way, you know, way back through all the cords and stuff, all the way down to where you know, the steps were, and the moment I got down to the main floor, all of a sudden, what was in my hand began to beat like a heartbeat. And as I began to walk toward the people, it came out of my hands and went around my hands, started coming up my elbows. It was this amazing presence. And I got to the first person, and I'm telling you, I knew I had something. I could feel it. It was real. So when I said, in the name of Jesus... I said it like a New Yorker would beep somebody out of the way. <laughs> huh? Well, I didn't say it like, well, in the name of Jesus. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm using it. He said use it, you know, twice to use the name. So I'm in the name like that. And I didn't get my hand on the person's head. And boom, they hit the ground, and the ushers hardly caught him. Now, you don't do what you think. But every single thought in my mind went, <laughs> Because right then, right there, I'm realizing... These babies are loaded. Oh, holy cow. God's in my hands. And I'm in, in the name, in the name, and people are just dropping like flies. And I got to this one lady, and it wasn't a pistol. It didn't just come out of my hands. It was like a shotgun. She went down, and the ushers that caught her went down with her. It came out of my elbows, not out of my hands. Explain that. I can't explain it, except I stood back and I said, give me that again. That was amazing. And because of that, that presence, when you talk about it like that, all of a sudden, like a gas stove, it becomes real. Because that's what we have. We all have it. It's not just for one. So if you were to put your hands out right now, like mine, Father, thank you for this life that now flows into these hands. Healing hands, I'll call them from this point on. And this life, Lord God, is above every sickness and above every disease. This life is creative. It will make things out of nothing. And I thank you, Lord, that we all have it. Yes. And I stir this up in Pastor Chris for this to be so real to her that just like it is with me, it'll flow out of her hands and affect healing and a cure and bring such blessing to everyone she ministers to. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Wow.